Just a quick note, guys, before we start this episode, the show notes for episode 10 of the Definite Article can be found at hustine.net slash tda slash 10. Let's get started. This is the Definite Article, a show about creativity yesterday, tomorrow, and today. This is The Definite Article, and my name is Justin Jacoby Smith. This is a program where I sit down and talk with my good friend Robin Babb in Texas about uh, creativity in the days of yesterday and in the days of tomorrow, the days of future past or something, and today also. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey, Robin, how are you? Hey, Justin, I'm doing good. How the hell are you? I'm good, man. It's been been a while. It's It's been... It's been multiple whiles, actually. <laughs> is that is that, how do you how, how do you de- demarcate when a while begins and when a while ends? Is there like a, a is there like a, a formula for um, that? Twenty six days, I think, is a while. Okay, so so we're just slightly past one while. We're sort of at a we're sort of at a while point two. Right. How long okay. has it been? I don't. I'm not even sure. Uh, it feels I, like forever. I actually, I actually just checked today, and I saw that the last episode we posted was posted on October 1st. Uh, oh, okay. Which means that we probably recorded it at the end of September. Right. Uh, and uh, so what that means is that it has been um, basically like two months-ish. Um, Damn. Yeah. So it's been it's been a little bit here. It has. Uh, yeah, I, I believe... As as that uh, audio file there was making its way onto the internet, I was throwing things into my car and driving down from Chicago to Houston. So that's that's what I was doing. Uh, yeah, I, I I could I had a sense of that uh, uh, of that car uh, driving hurtling down the highway. Even as I was downloading the file, I had a I had the sensation of movement just just downloading it. Right. Yeah. Because we we've got that twin thing when mm-hmm. when we're uploading files, twinsies, twinsies. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> well, so it was, do you want to? Do you want to? You know, obviously we've been busy, and I, f- I feel like feel like probably my mom wants to know why sure. we haven't done done an episode in a while. We, I, I was I was moving, so I was a little distracted, and you you also were moving. You were also a little Correct. distracted. Um, yeah, I was moving farther away than you were moving. I yeah. left Chicago to come back to Houston, my hometown, um, for multiple reasons. One of them being, uh, 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 I just didn't feel like being in Chicago anymore, True. um, which, uh, um, appeared to be. It, it appears that I left right at the right time. Uh, shortly after I left, there was kind of a host of um, unfortunate crime thingies that oh, really? happened right in, uh, within spitting distance of my old apartment. So, uh, you know, don't like crime thingies. No, crime um, thingies are, are... I don't think anybody likes crime thingies. Nope. Nope. Nobody does. Um... So that happened. Apparently, somebody threatened to bomb a CVS in my neighborhood. Huh, I okay. don't know. 
Was it? Were they like? Were they really excited about getting access to all the jelly beans they had? Were they, they were trying to get maybe like a specialty uh, deal? Who knows? But <laughs> apparently, the Chicago Police Department takes every bomb threat seriously. So fair, um, fair. definitely fair. But um, I don't think that CBS blew up. Um, I'm glad of that. I'm glad of that also. And so I moved back down to Texas, and you moved from one house to another house also in your same city. Yeah, well, so sort of. I mean, you know, I've been uh, basically living in, in the suburbs of the, of the oh, district. that's right, yeah. You know, for, yeah, it's, see, it's been a while since you, since, since you hung out. You may not remember. It certainly it, has. Yeah, it's. Um, I lived in the suburbs of the district for for a while, and uh, now I'm really back in the district, which is great. Um, and I'm I'm living here in uh, a great new house where we're actually where I've been doing the recording for this program and also the other uh, audio programming that I do. Um, ha- we've been running that out of this house for about a year now, and now I happen to just live in the same house where I do my recording in, which is really nice. Um, it makes a huge difference in how much I'm capable of getting done and how much energy I have and <clears throat> and whether or not I can speak credibly on a microphone. Um, <laughs> but it, but it makes a huge difference and it's it's really nice to uh, be able to shut down the mic at the end of a recording session and then go next door to my room and go to sleep. Yes, uh, that is literally the only way I've ever done it. So uh, <laughs> I can tell you that it's very exciting. Well, I mean, it makes a makes a huge difference in you know what my energy levels are, and um, and there's some cool stuff that we're doing in this house too that I want to maybe talk about a bit later um, because I feel like it's relevant to uh, the topic that we're ostensibly going to discuss today. But we don't have to jump right into that yet. But 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 yeah, I do want to maybe throw some of that stuff in sure. uh, when we when we get around to talking about uh, uh, sustainable creativity. Yeah. It- Certainly sounds like you've got a pretty cool gang over there. Uh, so I certainly want to hear about it. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of worried because, you know, you tweeted right before we started the show, you tweeted something like, uh, you know, me and Robin are about to start, about to record this next episode. And apparently we read the topic in entirely different ways. So <laughs> uh, um, I'm concerned now because I don't know. I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well. so when I had initially suggested the idea of doing an episode about, um, you know, sustainable creativity was kind of the, kind of the term that jumped into my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just based on some, some reading I've been doing and, and some kind of things that were bouncing around in my head. And you sounded like you were excited about the idea. And so you very charitably started putting together show notes. And I started getting a look at the things that you were putting together. And I certainly didn't want to redirect you in any way because I felt like you were taking it in a different direction and I started kind of trying to follow along with okay. the direction with the direction that you ha- had been taking it in um, but I also think that I've put some thought into it and I think that the two directions that we uh, were going with it also sort of complement each other so I think they're still going to play together nicely <laughs> I, think I think they're going to have a nice play date together okay play dates are good yeah <laughs> okay um, well, that's good. 
Well, so so the the first thing that that you that you posted um, that that you sent my way was this this open letter to to Spike Lee. Do you do you want to tell people about yeah, about this letter which, thing? Which right after I sent it, I realized that that link is no longer uh, yeah active. Unfortunately, I, I think the guys the guys site must have been hit with so much traffic that the um, link is dead now. Yeah, which is no bueno. Um, I. Uh, you know, potentially some some people listening are going to know what I'm talking about. Um, it kind of flooded the internet pipes uh, because that's how internet is delivered is through pipes, tubes. Um, tubes. It kind of flooded the internet for a while. It's this open letter to Spike Lee from this uh, graphic designer Juan Luis Garcia, who, at least as he says in in this letter to Spike Lee, he worked on um, some artwork for uh, the remake of Old Boy that Spike Lee is is doing and is out now, right? Yeah, it yes. just came out this week. Right, uh, which I'm not excited to see. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, open letter to Spike Lee about how he worked on... Um, he, he made posters and did some artwork for the movie. He got hired by some of... Spike Lee's, I guess, uh, minions, underlings, whatever, to work on this artwork for him. Um, and even though they were basically offering him a fraction of what he normally made on a project like that, um, they said, but it'll be great exposure. You'll be working with Spike Lee. Uh, and who could say no to that? So he did it. He did all these posters. He, you know, was determined to do it for a fraction of the, what he normally asked for. And when he brought these posters back to uh, the people who had hired him, they were offering him even less than they initially had. And of course, being, uh, being reasonable, he said, no, I can't, I can't do that. Um, I'm just not going to sell, sell his artwork to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, they were very upset at, uh, at Juan and told him basically that uh, you're never going to work again. Uh, you've made a giant mistake. Not you know this this is going to be the end of your career and similar threats of that nature. Um, and but but told him which which is you know completely reasonable. You can you can put this in your portfolio since we didn't buy it from you. Uh, so he put this in his online portfolio, and as things are wont to do when they are put on the internet, um, these these old boy posters that he put up that were never actually were never actually used with the movie uh, spread all over the internet, and people love them because they're really great posters. Uh, I'm gonna I'll, I'll find I'll find an image and put it in show notes, but they're they're, they're really great. Actually, maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. We might get in trouble for this anyway. <laughs> um. Uh, and now I, I think he's, I think he might be being sued. I, I don't know what the outcome of that was, but basically Spike Lee said, I've never heard of this guy before. I, we certainly never hired him. Um, and is just denying it up and down. Uh, and I think the consensus is Spike Lee is not being, is not playing nice. Um, well, and I and I think one of the things that really struck me about the letter was that 
he never disparages Spike Lee in the letter at all. Never. You know, he 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 says that you know that he he respects his work and he, and he he's he's been inspired by the films that he's done, and that and that he even says you know explicitly you know I'm I'm writing this to you because I believe you have the power to help me here. Right. You know, not that he is the target of his anger, but mm-hmm. that he is sort of the person he's coming to to ask for help because he thinks Spike Lee is a guy that can that can help. Uh, help him convince the agency that basically screwed him over to make it right. Yeah. Um, Because it's certainly true that, yeah, Spike Lee probably did not know this guy existed. He had nothing to do with, with, you know, that artistic portion of the publicity for the movie, I'm sure. Um, But yeah, it was, I think it was, it was more just a cry for help than an accusation, certainly. Yeah. And I, and I think that, it, you know, it's like we were talking about it, about it previously. I, I do think that Spike Lee is a guy that that um, sort of constantly feels like he's under attack, which mm-hmm. I think is a shame. You know, I guess that's the way that that industry works to some degree. But I, but I, I, I think you can't help but read this letter and and feel for the guy because he is ultimately. I mean, he's hurting, right? Like th- this is like the reality of of he's trying to put food on the table. You know. Um, and I think I think you're right. You know that uh, Spike Lee didn't know who this guy was at all. Like he had no, he wasn't connected to that part of the production, so he's operating in a weird position here. Uh, but I I definitely think also that um, you can't help but read this thing and feel for the guy because he is making an effort to do his work in a way that allows him to continue to be productive. Right? Like he's trying to he's trying to do this graphic design work and. And continue to be able to pay his bills, and continue to be able to to, to feed himself and his you know notional family, mm-hmm. and and I and so you can't help it because I feel like that's like on on the one hand that's a big part of of what this discussion is about, right? Is is about how can you do your work in the environment we live in today and reliably you know get paid to do it? How how can you reliably um, believe that you're going to be able to pay your bills doing uh doing this this creative work and there's so many there's so many examples nowadays of why that's becoming more and more difficult um i mean because you you look at the spike lee thing or you look at the the gawker article that i sent over to you also Mm -hmm. um that kind of touches on the same touches on the same thing you know this is a a court jefferson at gawker he's the, the west coast editor um and he's, he was not responding to the Spike Lee thing specifically. He's talking about a different instance of, uh, you know, a freelance writer uh, was being offered essentially exposure. He was being asked to write a 1,200-word piece uh, for free. This was a guy, you know, this wasn't like, uh, you know, some 19-year-old intern writing for an online magazine. This was a, a, a guy with a 25-year journalism career being asked by The Atlantic to write a long piece. And, um, and they were asking him to do it for free. And... And I think that so 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 Cord Jefferson is reacting to this, and and he spends his whole article um, talking about I think really really stirringly about the the time involved that you have to be able to donate to work for free, right? Like the kind of position you have to be in already to be able to do your work without compensation. Um, to be, you know, for that to be practical for you, you already have to be in a certain kind of position of security, and security is not something that you very regularly have when you're doing creative work. Sure, um, yeah, unfortunately, and um, yeah, it's 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 kind of a bummer because I think you know both 
both you and I have been in the experience of kind of giving up uh, the the creative fruit of our labor for nothing or next to nothing. And um, so this was kind of a topic that certainly resonated with me. Um, but there is there is kind of this stereotype that seems to exist from um, reality that that the kind of people who are spending their days writing poetry or um, painting landscapes uh, are generally the people who can afford to spend their time doing that, um, which isn't always true, but... Um, Right. I mean, in, in my experience, the opposite is true. Like, I mean, it's it's like we were saying before, this, this house that I live in, it's called Little Monastery Collective, and it's a house primarily made up of artists and activists. And, um, and I mean, in my experience, the people that, that devote their time to creative pursuits, like, have to struggle to get by. Sure. You know, and they, and yet they do it because they believe in the work that they're doing. You know, they, they choose to, they choose to have to struggle to get by because they're, so possessed you know for lack of a better word by the need to do the work that they're doing whether you know in this house we've got writers we've got painters we've got textile artists we've got um you know we've got different variations of activists that all live here and we're all doing this work that we believe in um and we're and all of us are hustling to one extent or another to get by because that's what you have to do now um you know in in order to 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 be able to do this stuff for the long haul but that and that's that's the so I was saying earlier about how we kind of came at this in two different ways and that, that this maybe kind of is my entrance for that, right? Because okay. these are the two different kinds of creative sustainability, right? There's the affordability of being able to do what you love, like the compensation that we're talking about with, mm-hmm. uh, with this Atlantic thing or with this, uh, with the Gawker thing. Um, but then the, there's another kind where it's the ability to do what you love without burning out, uh, you know, the, the ability to do what you love, uh, by getting paid in, in like meaningful attention, yes. you know? Um, and, uh, and I think that, I think that, that in order to be a, I, I, I think the part of the divide here is that it, it's a, it's like a professional versus a hobbyist divide, right? right? Because, because, when you're professionally doing this kind of creative work, if you're a graphic designer, like the guy that was writing to Spike Lee, um, then the affordability of doing this work is really important to you. But on top of that, it's still important, even when the affordability matters, to be able to do it without burning out. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you're doing it just as a hobbyist, then then you know compensation is a less important factor for you. But even if you're just a hobbyist, it's still ma- and, and I hate to say just a hobbyist because that sounds diminutive. But right. you know, but even if you're a hobbyist and compensation isn't your primary driver, uh, you know, there's still other kinds of compensation that are important. You still need a kind of payoff, even if it's not a paycheck. You still need a payoff. Right. You know. Um, yeah. You're going to say something there? Well, I don't know. That's interesting because that the whole professional hobbyist divide is, um, I guess, something that's bothered me for a long time because um, I, you know, I've known a lot of people, and I'm sure I'm sure that you have too, who do get who who are so passionate about whatever uh, writing or art or creative work it is that they do. Um, and get burned out simply because it is something that they're they're paid to do every day, 
and our um and, and that in itself is is such a uh such a restriction and puts puts a whole different mindset on the thing it makes it into work in a certain way instead of you know a hobby um and i guess i i guess i'm not really sure i grasped how that made the act different how that made the act of writing or painting or whatever different mm-hmm. um but uh i it, it certainly is i don't know I, it's something i'm um I'm starting to grasp, I guess, as far as how something can become less fun when it's suddenly your job. Uh. <laughs> right. Well, and I'm, and that's the, there's all this other stuff that, that comes into play when all of a sudden this is not something that you're doing necessarily out of passion, but when it's something that you're doing for your paycheck, mm-hmm. you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't love what you're doing for your paycheck. Of course. I mean, there are lots of people that say, you know, what's the, the old, uh, the old line. If you, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, there are lots of people that, that have the, uh, that have the, the, the privilege to be able to do that. And that's a great thing. But, but it, I think you can't deny that when you're doing it, and you're getting and you're getting paid for it that fundamentally changes the nature of the work because that's the point at which you can no longer sit around on your hands waiting for inspiration to strike you yeah. know that's the point at which when it's your job it you have to come in and do it every day you know and and you can't um you know you, you can't be precious about it you, you, it's like pr- producing something becomes your um becomes your duty right mm-hmm. and um and it, it, there's all this other there's all these other complications that come in there because then you get you get all these critical inner voices right that start to come in and and say like oh well I should be I should be doing it this way because if I was doing it this way then it would be more likely to sell and I'd be able to get get uh, um I, I'd be able to, to to get it out to a bigger audience even though it's not really what I want to do I need to be producing something something that's going to be able to sell and you're going to worry about whether or not. Uh, you're going to be effective at at uh, at selling and and getting getting a return on this time investment that you're putting into it. And all of us, you know, it all becomes so much more transactional and so much. It's so much less about about like your creative energy and so much more about um, about getting by in a in a paycheck sense. You know. Sure. So I kind of wonder. Do you think that that creating things as a career and creating things as a hobby or for fun or for, you know, soul fulfilling, wholesome goodness. I mean, are those things mutually exclusive? Is, is that, is that just how it is? Or do you think that people legitimately can, uh, get the kind of fulfillment out of their paid work that one could out of hobby work? No, I mean, I, I think you absolutely can. I mean, I, I, I think that there are people who work in, these sort of traditionally understood creative industries, you know, the, things like uh, things like copywriting and and uh, um, you know, or c- quote unquote content strategy, which is a term that I'm not fond of, as you know, <laughs> but um, you know, things like that, where you know, your creative, you know, I think whether or not you love your job is not necessarily dependent on whether you're getting paid to do that job. Sure, you know. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive in that sense, but I do think that when you're getting paid to do it, that you suddenly get a whole different set of challenges um, than when you're when you're doing it uh, sort of out of out of a sense of pure passion. You know, right. when you're doing it out of a sense of uh, a pure 
um, pure desire to put something out into the world, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I, I think that if somebody was paying me to sit down and produce so many poems per day, um, you know, in a given month, and then they, oh, okay, we'll give you your paycheck at the end of the month once you've produced our, you know, 90 poems. Um, I think that I would have to completely change the orientation that I took to the work that I was doing. I think there would be a lot more discipline and rigidity involved in what I was doing. I would feel a lot less free to do sure. what I really wanted to do, you know. And I think those are the those are the sorts of consequences that you deal that you deal with when you start approaching something as um, as something that you have to a product that you have to produce and that you will be compensated for, you know. Um, I do think that there's a, a different set of challenges that, that come with that. But I, I think that even, like I was saying before, even when, when that is the case, you're still, you still have to have to deal with the second challenge, which is that even if I was getting, you know, a paycheck to produce 90 poems a month, uh, that, that I would still have to deal with how to do that without burning out. I would, I would still have to figure out how not to quit at poem 52. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's getting much more into the uh, the the version of sustainable creativity that uh, that you were thinking of going into this. And one of the things that's <clears throat> probably why a lot of people are able to uh, make their creative work their career, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna theorize on this is that um, I can at least see how sometimes it's very hard to sit down in front of a blank page and just start writing something. But, um, when it's your job to do that and somebody's making you do it and is giving you rules and restrictions, sometimes in, in, you know, maybe a paradoxical way, it's almost a little bit more creatively freeing than, uh, free reign. If that, this is what the whole form of the haiku is based on, Sure, you know, um, when you have a set of restrictions that you're forced to work within, um, you know, you're going to be able, hopefully, to uh, to come up with novel ways to meet those restrictions that still satisfy what you're ultimately going for. Um, you know, but I, I, I think that I think that even when you're you're doing something like that, you have to you have to keep in mind that, um, you know, you're going to be getting feedback, right? When you, you submit, so you've dealt with these restrictions, you know, you, you've done your, you've put together your, your haiku, right? And um, this, this goes back to that, this goes back to the payoff thing, right? So we were talking about, you know, how can you continue to do what you love to do, even maybe if the paycheck is no longer motivating you? Because man, if, if, if this is, if this is something that you've got to do every day, day after day, eventually, just, just the fact that it is, what pays your light bill is not going to motivate you to create anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if it ever did, you know, maybe that's not really a motivation for anybody, but, but I think that at a certain point, um, you're still going to need payoff. You're still going to need, like if we were talking about this second kind of, of, of sustainability. Right. And I think that, I think you have to, um, you have to be able to deal with the, you have to be able to deal with the feedback you get in, in an effective way to be able to continue going forward because sometimes you're going to get good feedback and sometimes you're going to get bad feedback and you have to be able to deal with the bad feedback. Well, you know, if, if you want to be able to, uh, um, if you want to be able to continually, 
you know, continually produce stuff. This is a problem I realized I had is that is that I am desperate for positive feedback. I thrive on positive feedback. Mm, if I yeah. if 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 I don't get positive feedback, I start to produce less and you know, I don't enjoy the stuff that I do. But if I get negative feedback, I I deal with it like a crazy person. You know, if if I if if somebody if you know, I I need you to I need you to stroke my hair and tell me that I'm a great person um because I because I drew a stick figure man. Um but if you know, if you tell me that my stick figure man, his left leg is a little bit too long, I'm gonna tell you that hey, you have no idea how many things I have to do this week. And I've got, <laughs> uh, you, 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 you know, you have you, you have no idea what my responsibilities are, and you really can't have no ground to critique the the length of the left leg of the man because there are just so many other things that I have going on that you can't even begin to imagine. Yes, um, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, <laughs> But but this is what I'm saying is that if you want to be like and and perhaps this is why I don't get a paycheck for doing creative work <laughs> because um, and I and th- this is what I thought was this is what I thought was so funny th- that you clearly have been in a position more frequently than I have in recent days to be getting a paycheck for the work that you've been doing whereas I've been in the opposite. Um, situation where I've <laughs> I've been getting you know sort of sort of paid in paid in payoff you know sure um, and and I, I realized that I, I I was thinking about this feedback problem that I have and I I was thinking that it, it's a lot like uh, like bowling bumpers you know like when when you go bowling how you can get the you can get the soft bumpers mm-hmm. like the, the little the little blue foamy things um, right. that that go in the uh, uh, go on either side, or you can also get the you can get the hard bumpers too, right? It's like the the steel ones, you know what right. I'm talking about? Where yes. They have like they have like a hook that they stick into the gutter and they they yank it up, and so you get these hard steel girders on either side of your uh, of your your bowling lane. And I, I so I, w- I was thinking about this, and I I realized that like when you're when you're relying on the soft bumpers, like this this is positive feedback, right? When you're relying on the soft bumpers, somebody to kiss your butt that's gonna steer that's gonna steer you really gently. Uh, but whether whether you're relying on those or the hard bumpers, like the, that's the negative, hard to hear feedback, right? Because like you you throw the bowling ball, and if you're relying on your butt getting kissed, that's the soft bumpers. It's gonna oh, it hits the little bumper and it kind of drifts back into the middle lane. Okay, I've got a sense of where I should be going now. I kind of understand what I ought to be doing. Whereas it's the you know the, the negative feedback is the hard bumpers. That's the stuff you don't want to hear. You hit the you hit the hard bumper and it's like oh, and it makes that loud awful noise. Nobody likes it. It has to like you know really quickly go back to the to the middle the lane but whether you're relying on the hard ones or the soft ones you know to redirect your angle of bowling pin attack you know <laughs> your, your 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 bowling pin attack vector you're 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 still relying on something that's not going to help you understand what's right and what's wrong about your throw right like this is sure. the problem is like you, you, whether you're relying on the soft bumpers like the positive feedback or the hard bumpers you know the the negative feedback you're still relying on stuff that's not going to help you understand what's right and what's wrong about your starting point like instead of relying on other people to steer you all the time what you should be doing is figure out how your body's throwing the ball first I'm not a bowler I don't know how <laughs> how bowling works but like you got to figure out how you're how you're putting yourself out there and how to correct for that you got to figure out what you're doing wrong at the start because otherwise you take the bumpers away and you're still going to be throwing gutter balls all the time you know if 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 you're relying on feedback to to figure out what you're doing wrong then you're you're never going to understand why your throw is screwed up you know Hmm. uh like course corrections are never going to help you understand how you started wrong Hmm. i don't think 
and and so I that's why I don't think that if you're trying to do this stuff for the long haul, you can rely on um, on people telling you you should turn left or you should turn right. I think you ought to be figuring out. You know, based you can figure out based on the feedback what sort of adjustments you should make, but that ultimately the adjustments have to come from you. Sure. You know, you, you can't rely on people's corrections um, to correct your throw. You have to correct the throw yourself, because uh, otherwise, once the once the uh, um, you know once those protective uh, protective bumpers are gone, you got nothing. You know, you 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 throw on gutter ball after gutter ball, and who wants that? Nobody. That's who. Not that I bowl. I'm sure nobody could tell. <laughs> wow that that was a that was a metaphor. If I ever heard one, man, I'm I'm happy about that. I don't know about the about exactly comparing feedback to. I mean, I I feel like most feedback I get is pretty constructive and actually does help me when I'm starting off the next time. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that's just because I have nice people critiquing my stuff. Uh, I'm I'm not sure, but I I certainly feel the uh, getting the positive feedback is the most motivating thing, right? Ever really, uh, ever in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, which which kind of makes me think, you know, in a in a certain way, um, isn't getting paid kind of like good feedback? I mean, yeah. You were mentioning that earlier. I want to tell me more about that. I mean, at at a certain point, it is like you know people will will buy shitty art uh, sometimes, but it does make one feel really good when uh, somebody wants to buy your work. It's kind of like I don't want to say the ultimate form of compliment, but. Um, it it is certainly a compliment. It's saying, "Oh, I value your work enough to actually purchase it from you," um, which I don't know. I think I think is pretty cool, um, and and so it's kind of weird that somewhere in that transaction, there's this uh, there's this hitch where at least there's this perception that suddenly that makes the art less meaningful or something. Um, I don't know. And and I'm not I'm not sure you know which I believe at this point, but um, I, I could I could certainly see how getting a lot of feedback in a certain direction, whether that feedback be compliments or money, could lead you in a totally different direction from the one that you intended or started off with. Um, but I don't know, I don't know if I see if I see getting paid any more likely to do that than other kinds of payoff than compliments. Well, and I, I think that this is where you have to be careful. Right? This, this is the the, the Tchaikovsky thing mm-hmm. um, that we, we, we were looking at before, um, where he's he's offered you know uh, some some sum of money um, to, uh, to to produce something that he has no interest in producing. And he has this great line where he says, I should be guilty of artistic dishonesty were I to abuse my technical skill and give you false coin in exchange for true, only with a view to improving my pecuniary situation. Um, which not only is pecuniary a great word, um, it's a fantastic word. Um, but, um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that speaks to the, just the point you were making, you know, that that you do run the risk when you start to rely on the paycheck as your motivator, mm-hmm. um, you know, rather than, and maybe, maybe <laughs> what, 
<laughs> do, you, do you hear my dog barking in the background? I do. Okay. Uh, he, 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 so it's good to know that he agrees with Tchaikovsky here. Yeah. Um, he, he, and he Big also fan. enjoys enjoys the word pecuniary, obviously. Um, yeah, you see? <laughs> I told you. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I think that this speaks to that when you that when you let the paycheck become your driver, you run the risk of, um, you know, what he calls artistic dishonesty, where you start to use your skills to produce things that don't really mean anything to you. Um, that, and when you do that over and over again, that starts to burn you out because you're putting, you're not just putting up with the creative challenges of producing work that you like, you're putting up with the challenges of figuring out how to be productive every day, doing work you don't really care about, you know? Hmm. Um, but what if the stuff that you're naturally driven to make is not very good? (laughs) Uh, I mean, are we allowed to talk about that or? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like what if what if that positive feedback leads you towards something that maybe you wouldn't make otherwise, but maybe actually is totally way better than what you would make otherwise? Yeah, and I and I think that it's like um, uh, Peter Drucker. He didn't quite say it this way, but uh, the way I paraphrase Peter Drucker is quit quit where you suck at. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, I think everybody owes it to themselves to be willing to explore things that, that they might not otherwise explore. If, if they have a direction suggested to them that they might not have considered, I think they owe it to themselves to, to consider it. Sure. Um, but, at, but at the same time, if it becomes apparent that what you're doing isn't any good, you know, and, and, at, the be- and at the beginning, nobody's, that's the th- it's, it's, nobody's in, any good at the beginning, right? Because like when, you, when you're getting started in creative work, you know, you 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 get into this stuff because you've been inspired by other things that you like, and and so you're you've got a really good sense of what's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you you're like, man, I want to do stuff that's that good. You know, uh, like I started writing poetry because I got really ins- I got really inspired by like Whitman and Dickinson and Ginsburg and you know these kinds of people, and I was like, yeah, man, I want to do stuff that's that good. And then you start putting stuff out, and you realize, like, man. I'm not as good as Alec Ginsburg. <laughs> I'm not as good as Walt Whitman. And so, like, and so at the beginning, like, everybody kind of sucks is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, at least, at least, you know, most people, unless you're, you're some sort of crazy prodigy that started playing cello when you were four years old, for example. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, nobody's any good when they, when they start. It's only through, um, you know, the, like we've talked about over and over again, the creation of, of useful habits and the creation of, of, uh, of skills through practice that you get any good at the things that you, uh, that you were inspired to, to begin by things that you already liked, you know? Sure. Um, it's, it's only through the process of, of consistent, uh, consistent kind of trial and error that you find out whether or not you have the potential to be any good. Cause at the beginning, nobody is, <laughs> you know, Sure. but you keep going and you figure out whether or not you have kind of that spark or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, I, <laughs> for, for a few months I was reading a lot of writers memoirs because I figured out oh, if, if this is what I want to be a writer. So I want to know what writers think about. And, um, it was valuable mostly because, I mean, you're exactly right. Most people who who start out, I mean, of course, writers in their memoirs talk about, I was reading this and it made me want to write. Um, mm-hmm. And so there, there are all these people who start out, oh, I read Moby Dick and I said, oh, I want to write a book that's this good. And then 
like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of uh, Haruki Murakami's memoir that I mm-hmm. that I read. He said, "I can't do that. There's no way I will ever write a novel as good as I think he was Kurt Vonnegut, is who he was comparing himself to. Was, I'll, mm. I'm never going to be a Kurt Vonnegut. I'm never going to be that good. Uh, but I guess I could." try and I could get better every time that I try and maybe I could do something that's a little different um and his his first novel was uh was good it was you know critically acclaimed and all that and um and eventually after two or three novels you know he really hit his stride and suddenly he kind of I mean he's he's one of the better I would I would certainly say the best known uh, contemporary Japanese writer, but one of the better known contemporary fiction writers, I think of, of our generation. Um, yeah, definitely for sure. Everybody and everybody I know loves that guy. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess the point is, yeah, everybody starts out sucking. Did you know that Upton Sinclair wrote his first novel when he was 15? I I hate that guy. Seriously. (laughs) Very frustrating. Yeah. You know, this actually, this touches on something else I've been thinking about lately, because so often when one of these books comes out or say, for example, there's a podcast that claims to examine the uh, the, the habits and, and, uh, and, and work styles of, of creative successful people. Um, what? You know, if if there's something like that happening, you'll often hear, or at least I often see in, you know, in the, in the funny papers, as they say, that... Um, the criticism that, oh, well, you know, all these great people had in common was that they were producing great work. They certainly weren't all sitting down and following the same habits every day, and they weren't very consciously, you know, pursuing a certain path so that they would uh, uh, be successful. And if you're trying to retroactively invent the in, invent a path that they all followed in the same way, then you're sort of committing this, this fallacy, right? Um, and And I think that I think that that's true. Yes, that mm-hmm. that you you can't claim retroactively that somebody like Bob Dylan was necessarily that self possessed and that zen in his uh, sort of speak in his um, sort of pursuit of of this long career. But at the same time, that doesn't mean I don't think that we can't compare notes for these different kinds of people and find commonalities that are useful. Sure. You know. Uh, I, I think ultimately that if you're trying to draw a map of what it means to be a master or something, you know, based on these sort of common trajectories that you're probably you're probably connecting dots where they don't need to be connected, um, where it doesn't make any sense to connect them. But even so, I think that maybe if you look at the scatter plot, you can start to understand some useful trends, you know. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe you can't connect the dots and have that be meaningful. But when you look at a scatter plot, you're going to see a whole lot of dots in one place. And that means something, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. The, the critique that you can't connect the dots and claim that that's the path, I think, is valid. But I also think it kind of misses the point because all these dots are in the same place for a reason. Wow, we're talking about scatter plots now. <laughs> Damn. Scatter plots, bowling balls. No, this is good. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened. You know, one thing I've been. What, what day is it? Um, Wednesday. Um, one thing I've been doing some of recently is since I've been back home in Texas and I've been around my family a lot more is um, 
so my dad is a technical writer and he's very good at what he does. He's been doing it for almost 30 years or something. Um, and, uh, you know, one of my, one of the most useful things I've done in a long time is, uh, is, is talking to him about how he works and what his habits are and, and just kind of watching what it is that he does that works so well because he's been doing this for 30 years and I mean, people keep coming back to him for work, so clearly he's pretty good at it. Um, and also because uh, it's, it's probably, you know, pretty inarguable that I'm a lot like my dad. Uh, you know, we, we share some genes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when he says things like, oh, I, I work best in the morning, I feel much sharper than I say, oh, maybe I should, you know, try to do all my writing in the mornings and lo and behold, I'm a morning person too. And so I, I, I don't know if it, if that actually applies to what you're talking about. But... Well, no, I, I mean, I think, I think it does because, you know, by looking at uh, the fact that he happens to be your dad mm-hmm. isn't necessarily, um, it doesn't necessarily invalidate the, the, the same point, which is that ultimately you're looking at somebody that's good at what they do and you're, and you're trying something that works for them and it works for you. And that's really what what it's about, I think, is, is figure out what works for you so that you can do the stuff that matters to you, whether you're getting paid for it or not, whether you're, you know, whether you're, um, whether you do it for a living or not, it's it's about figuring out the patterns that work for you so that you don't get burned out and so that you can keep going and, and hopefully, if you're one of the lucky ones, maybe get a paycheck along the way. Yeah, and I think that the process of finding that that sustainable process is kind of a creative process uh, in and of itself. Wow. Um, I don't know where that sentence went. Uh, Meta. But... Yeah, that, man. that that got away from me. But that process involves a lot of trial and error, too, and a lot of trying things and burning out and realizing that, oh, that's not going to work. I'm going to have to try something else, um, which, which you know, is, is why so many people, uh, I think, at the start of their careers, find it so rocky and suck at stuff so much more than they, than they end up not sucking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my... Uh, that's my thoughts on it. The, well, you know, the, ultimately the goal is to not suck, right? So, and and, and, you, and yeah, and I think you're right. You gotta you gotta do the trial and error because otherwise you never. It, you, it's like it's like we were saying a minute ago. You know, you have to suck at the beginning in order to figure out how to not suck. That's true. You know, so one of the things I'm doing here is working at this used bookstore, which has has proven to be really great. And right across from the register. Where I, where I sit, is uh, the political biography section, and there's this one biography of uh, Stalin that they've got, you know, you know, cheated, cheated out a little bit so that you can see the cover. <laughs> okay. And uh, man, Stalin also was a very pretty man. The young uh, Stalin. The young Stalin was was quite, quite the dapper gentleman. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at this picture here. He looks like he looks like a he looks like a guy that lives around the corner from me. I mean, uh, not, not not like literally. There's not like a guy, but like you know, he like he he's very very, very modern looking. You know, haircut, got like the stubble beard happening. Yeah, he's got like geez. 
got like a his his scarf looks a little bit like an like an Italian restaurant tablecloth, but also a little bit like kind of kind of hipstery. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like he would ride a fixie. Yeah, probably. Wow, we we've uh, we saved the best for last, huh? Stalin riding fixies. Yep. That's we good. have a title. Uh, have you seen the the tattooed Stalin? The what? The tattooed Stalin. I just sent no, it to you in the, that, in the robot. I, yeah, I see that. I'm I'm opening it right now. And <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that's uh, that's sort of terrifying. <laughs> um. Yeah. His okay. eyes. His eyes look a little bit dead. In in the in the other version, he looks like like he's he's enjoying life. But then with the tattooed version, he looks like he's just like like man, I hated getting all these tattoos. Yeah, I think Sexy. it's because the gauges. Sexy Stalin. Hey, this is probably not healthy. Hmm. For 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 who us or him? Well, you know, I don't think you can get much unhealthier than dead. But for the for the, for our collective health, right? Saying. Yeah. No pun intended. For the health of the people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It was good talking um, to you, Justin. It was good talking to you too. I'll talk. To you. Hey, let's not make it two months next time. Okay, let's not. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Best friend.